I thank you for your word and this week and all that we get to celebrate. I pray that you would show us that your word would come alive to us tonight, um, that we would more further understand the importance of the cross and the victory over death that happened uh, through Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1 of chapter 20, now on the first day of the week. Now, sometimes I think we think the first day of the week is Monday. It's Sunday, okay? For those of you who are first day of the week Monday people, first day of the week is Sunday. Now, there's a day, actually, though, that happened in between what we talked about last week and what we have talked about today that very often gets overlooked. It's a day that's not really spoken of much in Scripture, and that day is Saturday. <laughs> it's Saturday. It's Saturday, the day in between. We talk a lot about the day that Jesus died, and we talk about the day that he rose from the dead, which are obviously the most important, <laughs> but there was a full day where Jesus, where we don't imagine this, but Jesus' body was lifeless. Jesus was dead for that whole day on Saturday, and the people who were close to him were mourning the fact, and the, for a whole evening and a whole day and another evening, the loss of him and the reliving the events of Friday night over and over and over again in their brain. And a full day of Jesus' lifeless body laying in the tomb. But now it's Sunday. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, who is John, okay, good, and the guy who's writing the book, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So I need you to feel the urgency of this moment. I need you to feel it, because first of all, Mary ran. Now, I know that nowadays, how many of you are runners? Ladies, how many of you will go for a run once in a while? You might not call yourself a runner. Okay, back then, running as a female was not acceptable. It was not socially acceptable, okay? So... For the urgency that Mary had, no, Mary didn't necessarily do a lot of socially acceptable things, but she ran, okay? This was a big deal. And the urgency of, and she, she finds them, and it's a, come quick, they've taken his body, we don't know where it went. There's an urgency, your heart is pounding, and it's a very much like, you need to come right now. Tomb, tomb robbery was actually pretty common, more than we would think back at the time. So that was her assumption, that had happened, that someone has taken his body. Someone has robbed the tomb, especially with how the death of Jesus came about and the amount of people who hated him. They assumed that this was the case, that they took his body, and we don't know where it is. So feel the urgency. Feel the panic. You've been in mourning. This man who is your Lord and Savior, who has been your teacher, his body is gone. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John wanted to point out that he was faster, <laughs> which I don't really know necessarily why, but there's a few times when John kind of makes himself sound a little better maybe than he was, but he's like, oh, by the way, I got there first. 
But what we do know is that this was not like, a, okay, we'll go check it out. Like, this was an all-out sprint to the tomb. Now, John happened to be faster than Peter. That's a trivia question you can hold on to for someday when you play Bible trivia or something that comes up on Jeopardy. You're going to win big money. But it was the, wasn't one of those, like, I'm not waiting around for you. Like, I am going. This is an urgent moment. The body is gone. And stooping to look in, so they got there. Stooping to look in, John, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, he wanted to just make sure that was known again, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. There was this light bulb moment. Okay, part of me doesn't understand because Jesus at least three times, if not more, have said, I have, I am going to die and then I'm going to rise again. Like he's told them that. So even if they had like, that's like something I would have remembered. Okay, as a disciple, more not necessarily even believing that it would happen, but kind of like, so everything else he said is coming true. So maybe let's at least wake up and like go to the tomb and see if it happened. But they hadn't gone. They were just waiting around. But they do have this light bulb moment. They didn't quite need Sherlock Holmes to come in and survey the situation and notice all the details because they saw the linen cloth there. If someone had robbed the body, they weren't going to take the time to take off the, like, the cloths that had, the body had been wrapped in. And they're definitely not going to take the time to fold the face cloth nicely next to it. If you're robbing the body, you're taking the whole thing, and you're worried about people catching you, so you are in a hurry. One of the arguments when people say that the resurrection didn't actually happen was that they say that Jesus never died, okay? That they put him in the tomb alive. That's one of the arguments that people have. Now, last week we talked about how they pierced his side and water came out. So that was an indication that we would use that, yes, this actually happened. It's recorded, not just in this, um, not just in John's gospel, but in other places. And also, you guys need to know something about this stone. It was, well, different people say different things for how big the stone was, but we know that it was very heavy. Some would say it's up to two, two tons, okay, which is 2,000 pounds. Now, rolling a stone that big into place Two men could do it. But 4,000? Two tons is 4,000? I'm just off. Thank you. I'm not, I've just been out of school too long. Okay? So anyway, about two men could roll it into place because you're not picking it up, you're rolling it. But to roll it out of place, because th when they rolled it into place, there was actually a groove, and to roll, and it was on an incline to roll it into place. It was like would go down a hill. So to roll it out of place, you'd have to roll it up and out of the groove that had been put in to hold it into place. So it would have taken at least four guys <laughs> to get it out, okay? So the thought that Jesus could have moved this stone on his own no, 
One man could not have moved this stone on his own. Now, he was, um, I mean, like, because that's the argument that he wasn't God. Okay, now we say, well, he could have because he's God. But that was the argument that he wasn't. So that's the stone. So they didn't, so they're coming into this situation, and all those things are what they're seeing. And when they see the cloth, they realize and they remember that he said that he had to rise. They said, he said that he must rise. I wish I would have known what was going through their head at the time because it just says, and they went home. <laughs> they went back to their homes. It was like they almost had this peace that was just like, okay, he rose again. And not really sure what to do next, so we're just going to go home and wait type thing. But Mary, it says in verse 11. Now, I don't know if they didn't clue Mary in onto that moment <laughs> or what was going on because Mary still believes that the body was taken. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So she looks in and she sees angels. And most of the time in scripture when they see angels, the first words out of the angel's mouth are, do not be afraid. But for some reason in this moment, fear was not Mary's concern. They, if, if she was afraid, they would have started off like that. But they knew the state of her heart and that it was sorrow and weeping and even seeing angels. She was just like, he's gone. Why are you weeping? Having said this, verse 14, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. I've always been curious about this. Like, how did she not know? He's, this is his tomb empty and she turns around and there's one man standing there. How did she not know? Now, some commentators who have studied this more have noted that, well, it was early in the morning so, you know, it was probably kind of a little dark. She'd been weeping. So you know how your eyes get kind of puffy and you're just like, oh, after you've been crying. So they've talked about those reasons. One of the things we do know, and it's good to note, that Jesus, if, if he had been in his resurrected, like, godly form, okay, she would have noticed because there would have been a difference about him. But we know that he wasn't quite at that. Obviously, he was resurrected, but he hadn't fully ascended to the Father yet. So we know that. But I wondered, too, if Mary didn't know it was him because she wasn't expecting it. She wasn't expecting to see Jesus standing behind her. You know, have you ever seen someone where you don't usually see them, and it almost like takes a minute to register in your brain, like, oh, hey, I know you type thing. Like at first you might not recognize them. A few years ago I visited, I surprised a couple of my friends from Poland at the airport in Chicago, okay? So I f they were flying to Chicago, driving a bus up here, and I flew on a plane and met them at the Chicago airport and was gonna ride the bus with them to surprise them. And I show up at the Chicago airport, and it was one of those like, they look at me and it was like, don't, it doesn't register, because I'm not supposed to be there. I'm not in the place where I'm supposed to be. I'm, I'm there with them. And actually, one of them gave me a hug, and the other one had said, she said in her mind, was like, who are you hugging? Like, why are you hugging this person? You know, it doesn't register because you don't expect it. 
Mary wasn't expecting to see Jesus. She wasn't expecting him. And today when I was thinking about that, I was started thinking about how often God is revealing himself to us. God is trying to show himself to us, and we don't recognize it because we're not expecting it to happen. There might be certain areas of our life we're expecting it. We expect to see him when we come into church. We expect to see him um, in other places, maybe in our homes, maybe I don't know what it is for you, but how often is he trying to show himself to us in a way that we're not expecting because our view of God is like this, and so I know that God can only show himself to me in these few ways, and so all these other ways, he couldn't possibly want to do that. Are we expecting to see Jesus, or are we walking around living our lives, not really looking for it, just going forward? And when we need him, we'll ask him, we'll desire him. But other than that, we're not expecting, are we? Jesus said to her, verse 15, again, woman, he knew the sorrow in her heart. Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, so now we know who she thought it was. The gardener would have been the only person around at that time. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. This cry of desperation, just tell me, I please, I need to know where his body is. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. He said her name all throughout today, and whenever I've been reading this passage and I get to that verse and he says her name, I just like, my heart kind of like turns a little bit. Because can you imagine how sweet a moment that was when she doesn't know who he is and he just looks at her and says, Mary. And she, I'm sure, just like throws herself at him. Can you imagine as she's turning, like what her face was, this mixture of like shock and love and relief and surprise all at the same time, and she just throws herself. There's something about our name and the fact that Jesus, what we talked about earlier in John, is Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus knows his sheep, and he calls them by name, and he does it here. She is known, and she knows the one who is saying her name Then Jesus said to her in verse 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now the phrase that he says, do not cling to me, almost sounds a little bit like, don't touch me. You know, like that's how we would read that. Like, get your hands off me, woman, you know, type thing. That's not what Jesus is saying. I, I guarantee you when, when Mary threw, himself, threw herself, he didn't like back away like, oh, don't touch me. The do not cling to me is don't get too attached to the fact that I'm with you right now because I'm not sticking around. <laughs> I'm only here for a very short time. I'm not, like, there are things to be done. There are things to do. I'm I'm glad to see you, but don't get attached to the fact that I'm here. Don't cling to that, right? I'm leaving. And so she does. 
She goes and she tells all that she has experienced. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, again is Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Can you imagine? Okay, the doors are locked. They were afraid. The Jew, they were afraid because basically of how Jesus' death went down. Like if they killed him, what are they going to do to us? Okay, so there's a fear of that. So they're all together. They lock the doors and all of a sudden Jesus appears like in the middle of the room. Like when it says if Jesus appeared among them, it was like he, can't, he was like all of a sudden in the middle of the group. Okay, can you imagine? And he's just like, peace. Peace be with you. Imagine for a second. This is one of those moments, like imagine being in that room. You've heard that he's been raised, and you're kind of like, what's going to happen next? And all of a sudden Jesus just appears in the room. And when he had said this, peace be with you, he showed them his hand. Remember where the nails went through? And, and his side, where the, where the um, sword was pierced. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then they were glad. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Basically, Jesus is saying, what you've been doing alongside me, what you've seen me been doing for these last three years, it's not over. Just because I'm leaving doesn't mean, this is just the beginning. Because now your job is to go and to continue to tell and to continue to tell people about the forgiveness of sins and how it's available and to tell them about what will happen if they don't. That's where that unforgiveness, forgiveness of sin part, like they need to know that there is forgiveness of sins and if they don't ask for that forgiveness that there is not. I'm sending you, go. Now, some people who, and, and they might have confused you already, but some people who have been studying the Bible way more than me are still confused a little bit about this because if you read in the book of Acts chapter 2, that's when we stand, like that is Pentecost, which means that, that's when the Holy Spirit is fully given to those who have received Jesus. So we look at this and we're like, so did the disciples receive the Holy Spirit twice? Did they receive a little bit of him here and the rest of him there? Some of you didn't even have that question. I'm addressing a question you had no idea existed. But what we think and what I would tend to with following the way that John writes is that this was almost um, like a precursor to when it happened. Just as when Jesus said, like, now I am glorified, it wasn't in that exact moment, but it was like, it's happening. Like, it's going to happen very soon type thing. The Holy Spirit, he says, is I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, which is, when we look at the Trinity, we have God the Father, we have God the Son, which is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, which is what is with us right now. It is the gift that is given. It is Christ in us, those of us, who have received the forgiveness of Jesus. So it's not necessarily in everyone, but it is when we receive the gift of forgiveness 
By giving our life to Jesus and accepting what he did on the cross, we receive the Holy Spirit. It's the power. It's the connection. It's the worker. And so he says, I'm still with you by way of the Holy Spirit. God is in you. Now go. It's this aspect of the gospel, of the message of the cross, and the reality of this story that I think often we, we kind of just push to the side. We're like, yes, I will receive the forgiveness because I like the sound of that, and I like what I get out of it. I'll receive his forgiveness, but then it's just it's a very me and him thing, very personal, just me and him. Don't ask me about it. This is between me and him. Now, your relationship with Jesus is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not like you and your mom and Jesus, okay, or you and your small group leader and Jesus, or you and your, like, it's you and him, okay? But it is also meant to then be shared. You have news. You have the antidote to a sickness that is going to kill every single person on the earth that doesn't get the antidote, and you have it. Yes, Jesus died to forgive the sins of all, but that doesn't mean all have received that forgiveness. If I say, here, I've got this for you. I've got the, the cure, the antidote, I've got it. But you're like, that's cool. And you just look at it in my hand. You don't have it. You have to take it. You have to say, yeah, I know I'm sick, I need that. And say, yep, thank you, <laughs> I need this. So when it says that Jesus died for us and he offers us forgiveness, we have to then accept that, <laughs> to receive that, to say, yes, I am a sinner, I am in need of a Savior, and what you did on the cross is, was enough, and it's what I need. I talked to one of you guys this weekend about why doesn't God just force everyone to believe, because if those who don't accept him are going to hell, that doesn't seem very loving. So why doesn't he just force us all to believe because then he would know that we're not going to hell? God never wanted to create robots. It wasn't God's desire to create robots who just did whatever he asked and walked and talked and said what he, asked, what he said. Lift your arm, move your leg, say yes, say I love you. You know, it's like when you're little and it's like say please. You're like, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, we fight against that, like, do this. No. You hate, like, when your mom, like, makes you be friends with someone. It's like, I'm only hanging out with you because my mom made me. Okay? It's like this, that's, that's not a love relationship. That's not, when you force someone, you're, that is not what God is about. God is about a relationship. You and me. I choose you, you choose me. It's not forced. So then we, who know that message, and know that there's a whole ton of people who don't know it, or they pretend to know it, or they, they think that just knowing about it is enough, we're the ones who then need to go and share the message because that's why we're still on this earth. That's why we're still here. That's why God doesn't just say, you've got it, let's go, and just shoot us up to heaven in that moment. Because we're here to continue to, he uses us to share the message of forgiveness. The true message of Jesus with those people that we know and those people that we don't. 
that the antidote to sin and death is available through Jesus, but only to those who receive it. If you are a disciple of Jesus, meaning, did you know that there's not just the 12 disciples? That now, if you have a relationship with Jesus, and you've accepted him as your Savior, and you call him Lord, you are a disciple too. Okay? And it also means you have the Holy Spirit, which means you have Christ in you, which means you have God in you. You are sent, so we must go. Which doesn't always mean to a different state, doesn't always mean to a different country, doesn't even always mean to a different town. It could mean go out of your house and talk to your neighbor. Go to your school. Go and talk to the person, to your brother in the other room. Get off your butt and go. Because other people need to know about this. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, which now we call him Doubting Thomas, he can't, uh, was not with them when Jesus came the first time, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, doubt it. No, that's basically what he said. But you're like, wait, it doesn't say that in my Bible. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, a week later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Sound familiar? Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and who have yet believed. Hebrews says, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Some of you are sitting here saying, God, if you want me to believe all this and this whole thing, if you want me to live for you, show yourself to me. Show me. Appear. Speak to me audibly. And then we kind of decide how that's going to look, right? And God's like, I have shown myself to you. You have my word. The people around you, what are you looking for? Blessed are those who have not seen and believed. Trust. Trust is a hard thing. Some of us struggle with it more than others, even when it comes to like people in our lives. There are a lot of people and things that aren't trustworthy, but no matter what, God is trustworthy. We can trust him. Even though we haven't seen him in the physical form, we can trust that the cross was real and happened, that Jesus was on this earth and that he died and rose again, conquering death for you and me so that we don't have to, so that we can live in victory rather than in fear, and we can trust him. The last two verses. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It is the most clear purpose statement of any book in the entire Bible. We read it. We read these exact verses on the first night of youth group. 
How many of you remember? Yeah, it's okay. These weren't the only signs that Jesus did on earth, but John was like, these are the ones I need to write so that people can see that he was the Son of God. Read them and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that because of that belief, that is where we get life. So my question for you tonight, what are you waiting for to really live? What are you waiting for to see Jesus? What are you waiting for to expect him to show up in your life? And lastly, what are you waiting for to tell the world around you about the antidote, about forgiveness, and about the only way to have life? Lord, we thank you, and we can't give you thanks enough for life. This world is full of so many things that have tarnished the message, who have tarnished our view, who have skewed our view of what this world is really about. And sometimes we sit in here and we're like, what? How does this even fit in my life? Lord, I pray that the message of the cross this week would be more real to us than ever before. That we would see our need for forgiveness and that you are it to life. We give you this week, Lord, I pray that in our small groups we would be, have a good conversation tonight and really reflect and examine our own hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, guys, tomorrow night I want to invite you at 7 o'clock tomorrow night in the worship center. We're going to have a special, it's called Monday Thursday service, and it's going to be really cool. It's very different than any service we have at Timberwood. It's kind of more of a drama. It's awesome. So come 7 o'clock tomorrow night, bring your families. And yeah, you guys can go. Uh, eighth and 